Isn't it wonderful to see all of our young people yeah. with us? This is... Um, so I'll tell you what I tell them. I record my messages so I can send it to their parents. So don't say anything, you know, don't, that you don't want to get on tape here. So, which doesn't stop them. They usually talk, talk nonstop. And so, um, well, thank you for, uh, can everybody hear me back there? Is that okay? All right. So thank you for letting me be with you tonight uh, in youth right now. And I, I wouldn't worry about this. This is, if you can see it or not, it's really just for pictures. I didn't put a lot of information on the screens. I just like to make something that I can send out later. Uh, so I don't put a lot of information on the screen, so you don't have to worry about that. But uh, in youth right now, they wanted to discuss what the difference is between biblical Christianity and the other world's religions. And I told them that we would do it this past summer. And we started getting into the books of Romans, and they're just like, hey, Cole, are we ever going to do this? So I stopped what I was doing and am finally doing it for their sake. But um, last week, the youth discussed and discovered the main core differences that exist between uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and biblical Christianity. So if you want to know about Jehovah's Witnesses, these are some people that can teach you a few things. And so right now, I'm going to put them on the spot and see if they remember any of the core differences from Jehovah's Witnesses and biblical Christianity from last week? They don't believe in hell as like a punishment. They think that it's just like eternal, like non-existence. Yes, exactly. So Jehovah's Witnesses believe, they don't really believe in hell. They believe that everyone kind of gets annihilated, meaning that you enter this conscious non-existence when you, when you die. And that's not true based off what the Bible teaches. Well, so they, uh, they have a different understanding about heaven. They only believe that 144,000 people will go to heaven, and the rest may have the opportunity to inherit a new earth. Again, the Bible doesn't teach that. So. Yeah, to sell, so a lot of, a lot of these uh, offshoots, which I would, I would call them cults, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, and I don't think it's a negative term. I think it's just an honest assessment. But a lot of cults that come from Christianity and misinterpret the Bible, they, you'll see a lot of works-based salvation, not salvation by grace through faith. Um, and so their main difference were... Oh, yeah, Griffin. Uh, I was going to say they don't look at the physical resurrection. Yeah, so it shouldn't shock you with, if they don't believe... When we die that we have bodies and we're punished eternally, then they didn't believe that Jesus bodily rose uh, from the dead. They believed he was just kind of a ghost walking around in human form after he rose from the dead. And of course, each week what we do is uh, we treat these things with, with respect. They have friends that are Mormons. They have dear friends that are Mormons. They have dear friends that are Muslim. And so we, we are respectful, but as Ephesians 4 teaches us, we are called to declare what is true. And we, we can't be ashamed of the gospel. We can't be afraid of it. Uh, we have to declare what is true. And so that's the main gist of what we are going through. And, and we've moved on to Mormonism. Now, do you remember how many Jehovah's Witnesses there were in the United States? Like one to two million. And so... I know this may not be normal for 
adult prayer meeting, but I talk to them a lot and I'll talk to you a lot. And so feel free to interact with me. We spend a lot of time talking together. But there are about one to two million Jehovah's Witnesses in the United States. There's about 16 to 17 million Mormons in the United States. Now compare that conservatively that there are about 140 million Protestants. Now, Research polls say that there's 330 million Christians in the United States, but they put Mormon in that estimate, which I think is incorrect. So there's about 140 million Protestants, about 70 million Catholics, and you can tell that that number doesn't add up. Uh, and so I, I really, uh, I love my mother, Mormon uh, friends. I wouldn't call them brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, but we're going to talk about tonight why there is a difference. Um, as I tell them every week, you're allowed to ask questions in the middle, raise your hand, I'll stop and talk to you, but please save your comments. That's mainly for them. But feel free to ask any questions that you want to do. But the way that we handle this is we go through their history, we look at their historical foundation, and then we talk about their major differences. And rather than me just saying that's wrong, we use the Word of God to refute their beliefs because it doesn't really matter what I have to say or what I believe about Mormons. It's what God in the Bible has said, what is true biblical Christianity. And so what I do with them is I ask them to read uh, Scripture. So I may call on you, Randall, and be like, Randall, read this Bible passage. <laughs> and so just be ready. I may call on you. But before we get started, uh, let me pray, and I think we'll have a good time tonight. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that uh, Dr. Mike was able to take some time away to refresh I pray that you would do that. We, we are so grateful for him. Please bless me and my efforts tonight, Lord, my studies, that I would have good recall and that it would benefit everybody in here, myself included, from, from student to retiree and everyone in between. In your name we pray, amen. So the tagline for Mormonism, I think, is as God is, man can become. Now, we're not going to discuss that right now, but just kind of mull that in your head that a Mormon thinks what God is, a man can become. And so historically speaking, we need to understand what is at the very beginning of the Mormon faith, and that's Joseph Smith. And there's no problem, I, I don't think there's any American religious group that has had a more colorful and fascinating history than the Mormons, with, with just the things that have happened, the things that they state to believe. Um, but as a teenager, Joseph Smith had a vision in which two persons, two persons visited him, the Father God and Jesus. And he asked them, Joseph asked them, and this is historical fact. Again, I'm not making this up. There's a great book that I'd be glad to recommend to you. Uh, I just ask that you take in good faith. I'm not making this up. I'm pulling this from facts and records about his life. Uh, but he approached God and Jesus, and he said, which Christian denomination should I join? So he didn't have a church home. That's probably been familiar for a lot of us in our life. And so he asked, and, and, and apparently uh, God said none because they're all wrong and corrupt. So he took that and he said, okay, well, what do I do with that? Well, a few years later, an angel by the name of Moroni visited him. And these names are important, but this angel visited him to tell him about a book written on golden tablets by a former by former inhabitants of North America, and that these tablets would contain the fullness of the gospel. So for us Bible-believing Christians, already there's a red flag, because he's saying there's something outside of Scripture that's going to explain the fullness of God's revelation in the gospel. 
So a few years later after that, Smith would, would dig up these tablets and he would begin uh, uh, translating these, re what he called reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics. Okay, he would translate them with the help of two stones. Now, does anyone here know what a seer stone is? A seer stone, you ever heard of that? Yeah, so like an occult practice that was really prominent in the 1800s where people would use stones to obtain otherwise unknown information. Now, the practice was outlawed because it was generally practiced by con men, people that would, would deceive you. Well, this is how Joseph Smith, he had two stones, and that's how he began to uh, interpret and understand these tablets that were given to him by this angel. And he sat behind a curtain staring into a hat, and that's where he began to write down the Book of Mormon. And so, again, a lot of things are already at the very beginning, very questionable, very interesting, interesting, but very questionable. Well, Joseph Smith has a friend who uh, owns the mortgage on Joseph's farm. Joseph is Presbyterian, by the way, by birth, uh, by upbringing, and he never actually joins the Mormon church, believe it or not. But um, this uh, friend of his took these hieroglyphics, these, pa these passages, and took them to a professor at Columbia University. And he said, is this what he says it is? The professor said, no. The friend and Joseph Smith said that he confirmed it. So, right, I mean, again, some, some trickery, some deception. This professor would go on and quote and say uh, that the paper contained anything else but Egyptian hieroglyphics. So he said, hey, whatever this is, it's not what you say it is. And so by the 1830s, time keeps adding up. Smith published the Book of Mormon. Okay, we're, we, some of us here may be familiar with the Book of Mormon. In the 90s, you saw a ton of commercials about Latter-day Saints. And so if I say LDS tonight, that's their church, the church of their beliefs. Um, and history will tell you that if you research, uh, I, I was talking to Mr. Charlie, wherever the Mormons went, they were very heavily persecuted for their beliefs. Okay, people were very skeptical of them. They did not trust them. They would go to Missouri. The governor would, would take it out upon himself to eradicate them. And there was a civil war between Missouri and the Mormons. And then the Mormons leave Missouri. They kind of have an exodus of their own, and they go to Illinois. So Smith would then, at this time, once he gets to Illinois, he starts to write rep revelations that form key doctrines of the Mormon faith, their belief on the Godhead, uh, their beliefs on the origin and the destiny of the human race, um, their belief on what they call eternal progression, which is a big doctrine of theirs that we're going to discuss, baptism for the dead, one that, especially one that we're all very familiar with, polygamy, plural, plural marriage, having more than one wife, and then sacred temple ordinances. Now, the kids learned last week that there's a difference between Mormon church and Mormon temple. You can't go to Mormon temple as a non-Mormon. And so we're not going to talk about like th that tonight, but they have even different things to go to themselves. Now, tensions would continue to grow uh, in Illinois, and Smith would be arrested for his controversial beliefs um, and, and, and his leadership of the Mormon people. Polygamy is not allowed. It's illegal. And so people are pursuing Smith and, and all of the Mormons very heavily. And a group of about 200 people attacked the building that he was in. Uh, 
and while the church, the LDS church, would say Joseph Smith died a martyr, history tells a different story. Smith died in a gunfight with a gun that he smuggled into jail with him. So it wasn't, he wasn't a peaceful martyr that just gave up his life for the church. Uh, it was another deception. He was killed in a gunfight. And so this person, Joseph Smith, is the key foundation to really understanding Mormon thought. And just when you thought it really couldn't get more interesting, an even more radical, domineering, forceful person comes along, and his name is Brigham Young. And so Smith died, and Brigham Young won a power struggle, uh, which then split the church. And you did have this mass exodus to the valley of the Great Salt Lake in Utah. And this is where your, 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 uh, your modern-day, uh, latter-day saint church has formed. Now, polygamy under Brigham Young becomes a formal practice of the church. Before, it was just kind of like something they did. He instituted it as something you must do. Brigham Young had 20 wives and 57 children. So polygamy was, again, as I stated, it's illegal in the United States. Yes, ma'am. I can't hear you. Are there any more pins? Uh, I am so sorry. Can someone loan Miss Carolina a pin? Thank you for asking, Caroline. Do you get one? Okay. So, like I said, polygamy, polygamy is illegal. It's outlawed in the United States, and it's actually what slowed Utah's introduction into the Union as a state because they were denied on at least six separate times to become an official state of the United States because of their endorsement of polygamy. And so their these, this practice specifically of polygamy would rescind uh, in popularity because their popular image would grow in the United States. They would, be, they would become people who were known as very successful people, very nice people, very nice-looking people, uh, positive and very useful and helpful for their communities. So a lot of these doctrines would kind of fall behind their backs as this idea of a good person would become um, very formal and forthright. Now, millions of converts to Mormonism base their belief standards on what is called the four standard works of Mormonism, four standard works. The first one is the King James Bible, as they interpret it, that's important to know, the Book of Mormon, another doctrine they call the Doctrine and the Covenants, and another book they call the Pearl of Great Price. So this is like their four pillars of the faith, whereas... What are our pillars of the faith? The Bible. Jesus Christ crucified. The gospel. Right. So they're saying the Bible and we say the Bible only. Now, a big thing about the LDS church is they claimed that the biblical canon never closed, even to this day. Revelation continued through Joseph Smith as well as their other presidents and prophets even up until this day. So you have Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Mormonism really starts to gain ground in the United States. And so the Book of Mormon is very interesting. It covers, and, and what I'm about to say is a summary of the Book of Mormon. I will outright say that I think none of it is accurate whatsoever, and I think it, is, it goes to a great length to be false. Um, but the idea behind the book 
is that it's the, it's the history of two great civilizations. I don't think these civilizations are real. These Jewish people are reported to have become two great nations, the Nephites and the Lamanites, and they fought each other here in North America intermittently over the centuries. Most of the Book of Mormon was allegedly put down on these gold tablets by a person named Mormon, and he was a commander-in-chief of the Nephite tribe. After Mormon completed writing on these plates, he gave them to his son, the angel Moroni, who then added a little bit more to them and then buried them in the ground. And they remained buried in the ground to who came and got them? Joseph Smith. Very good. Now, the Book of Mormon teaches, although falsely, teaches that the Lamanites became the ancestors to the eventual Native Americans that me and uh, Mr. Randall were talking about. Now, here's what's crazy to me. Okay, now, Stephen Brown would be a good person to talk to about textual criticism, the historical accuracy of the Bible. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and be glad that you believe what I believe about all of the manuscripts, the thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that affirm the truthful accuracy of our Scripture. And if you don't believe, a simple Internet search will overwhelm you with the history and, and data and the backbone to which we have our scriptures now in the English translation from the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. But the thing about the Book of Mormon is not a single trace of these cities where these civilizations lived or evidence of their existence has ever been found. Not a single trace. Furthermore, every single high, higher institution of learning, every college, university in the United States does nothing to substantiate or solidify the claims of Book of Mormon. Now, are... Well, that, well, I was going to make that punchline, and you stole it. Okay. And that's okay. That's okay. It's still true. I'm, on, I'm still going to make it. But um, I'm going to do my question first. Okay. Are all universities favorable towards Christianity? No. no. Isn't that interesting that even institutions that go so far to be against biblical Christianity go just as far as to say the Book of Mormon is nonsense other than one university, Brigham Young, which is what? Mormon. The Mormon institution, their shining star. So despite its clear issues within the Book of Mormon, Smith claimed, and this is crazy to me, he claimed that it was the most correct book on the planet Earth. The LDS Church maintains that the Book of Mormon is the inspired Word of God, and they also make the same claim for the Doctrines and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. They don't believe translations today are translated correctly, which is including the King James that they borrow, which is odd because the Book of Mormon contains some 27,000 words copied from the King James Version almost verbatim. So they're saying it's not accurate, but then you see phrases and clips that are just copied, not from the Hebrew, not working the actual language, but just copied from the King James directly into their Book of Mormon. And so they have a few things that go beyond the Book of Mormon, and that's the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. And even though Smith, and this is again introducing more hypocrisy, more uh, confusion, more deception, more uncertainty into their belief system, like I just said, Smith said, the Book of Mormon is the most correct and complete book on earth, yet he would go on to add 13 more Mormon doctrines to the Doctrine and Covenants. So that sounds like 
hypocritical statement. He's saying, A, the Book of Mormon is complete. It's the best book on earth. I'm going to go over here and add 13 more key things that aren't in the Book of Mormon. So that you see that's inconsistent. And these things include polytheism, which is, do we know what that is? Multiple gods, good. God as an exalted man. Um, human ability to become God, not become like God, to become God. Three degrees of heaven, polygamy again, eternal progression again, and baptism for the dead. Now, we're not going to touch on all of them. We're going to mainly touch on uh, eternal progression because it is so uh, contrary to what the Word of God teaches. Now, excuse me, in addition, the Doctrine and Covenants contains numerous prophecies that did not come to pass. Now, someone over here, read to me Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. And so this is where I'm going to begin making their statements. Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. And you're going to have to read it loud. Okay, I'm going to do it again. So, youth, if uh, I didn't say this before, but if you get to read, just kind of stand up and turn around. But this is Deuteronomy 20 through 22. It states, But the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. You may say to yourself, How can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? Good question. Here's the answer. When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Okay, so on top of the doctrines and covenants, Smith would profound, make very profound prophecies. None of them came true. None of them come to pass. And very few revelations that he had in these original DNC documents from these current uh, match the current editions. So they're continuing to change. They're continuing to evolve. And, and what appears to be true is that Joseph Smith had all these great new ideas about what he wanted to put into his Book of Mormon. And some of that original thought lies in direct contradiction to what Mormon theology teaches today. So what he thought then is no longer what they think. Is that what we do as traditional Protestant Christians? No. We believe and stand on the saints that went before us, the word as it was taught and lived in its original context. Now, unlike the BOM, the DNC, and the Pearl of Great Price, um, the, I'm sorry, unlike the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine of Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price was translated from papyrus-type fragments. And, and I look, I aim to be respectful, I aim to be kind, but this part is one of the craziest parts to me. Okay, Smith purchased these fragments from a traveling lecturer. So if I was a guest tonight and I'm just bebopping through town, it would be like Jake was like, hey, you got your books, can I buy your books? And I'd be like, yeah, you can buy my books. So Smith bought these fragments and also some mummies, for what it's worth, he bought some old Egyptian mummies from this traveling lecture. 
And um, he claimed that these writings were the very words of Abraham. We remember who Abraham is. Um, And so investigation into these documents by Mormon and non-Mormon Egyptologists or people that are familiar with the uh, Middle East showed that these papyrus fragments contained nothing more than someone who wrote out what to do at a funeral and how to embalm someone. So, again, another great reach to convince people that you, Joseph Smith, have some type of revelation that has not already been given to the people of God. And so, before we move forward to discussing their individual beliefs, it's important to understand one statement. Mormons have absolutely unshakable faith in Joseph Smith, their first prophet. Facts do not matter. Uh, Whatever happened, like whatever I've explained to you, um, Smith is still their source of divine revelation, the founder of their entire viewpoint. So you have to understand that Joseph Smith is crucial to their belief system and life as a Mormon. Now, the heart of Mormon, uh, the heart of Mormonism, you know, the biblical doctrine of creation, uh, the biblical doctrine of God, I'm sorry, states that he is eternal. God is eternal. He's the only God in the universe. He's the supreme creator of everything, and he created things ex nihilo, out of nothing, meaning there was nothing except for him, and then he created everything that we have. He has always been and always will be. He will never change, and there's plenty of scriptures to support that. The Mormon doctrine says that God is available through further revelation, which we just talked about, and then eternal progression, and then tritheism. So we'll talk about those real, real briefly. But I'm not going to discuss at length how they misunderstand God's origin, because we'll be here much longer than, than uh, maybe we want to be. But um, they completely miss the fact that creation, our story of creation is historically accurate. It's historically verified by scientific research. They miss that as well. Now, if you wish to learn more in detail, again, I think this book is a great starting point. There is plenty of great text and videos and articles to talk about how biblical Christianity stands way out in front in Mormonism, and they are not the same. Now, what I want to talk about is is eternal progression. It's a scary doctrine that really makes sense in the United States of America. The idea of self-promotion, self-made man. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I made myself who I am today. Mormons believe that Jesus only gained his fullness when he, um, after he died on the cross. They don't believe he was fully man, fully God before that, but only after what he achieved on the cross. And he only attained that through a resurrected body. Smith taught that Jesus would eventually take God's place and that God, would, God the Father would move on to higher realms of glory, higher realms of exaltation and progression. And the key word here is progression. The idea that you can steadily move forward on your own account, volition and willpower. The teaching is that if you become a Mormon, you too can rise higher Uh, and progress further toward Godhood. And in fact, if you take part of a celestial marriage, if you go to a Mormon temple and you you become celestially married, 
uh, as a man and woman being married in the Mormon temple, you can eventually have your own planet, your own place to rule in the afterlife. Now, Smith taught you have got, and this is a direct quote from his writing, you've got to learn to become God yourselves, the same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. So can someone read Isaiah 40, 13? I take volunteers. Isaiah 40, 13. Oh, wait, never mind. Carl's got it, Macy. Macy, you read Hosea 11.9. And then Randall, I'm giving you Malachi 3.6, brother. All right, everyone, listen up. So who directs God? Answer, no one. Macy, Hosea 11, 9. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the only one in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. So what a statement. He says, hey, first of all, I'm not, I'm God. I'm above you. I am I am not man. And then he gives testament. I won't change. The faithfulness that I stated to Israel before, I still have. Malachi 3, 6. Can't get any clearer than that. God's saying, I am the Lord, I do not change. What was that, Carl? Hosea 11, 9. Thank you. So what I want to say about progression is there's no such thing as progression. There's only repentance. And if there is no repentance then there is only regression. Regression into further wickedness and depravity as caused by sin. Repentance does not lead you to become a better version of yourself, although being sanctified after you're saved will make you more like Christ and a better person to all of those around you, but that's not the point. Repentance offers you justification, which doesn't take Macy and say, Let's make Macy better. It says, let's take her out of the picture and place Jesus in her place. And that's what makes us saved. It's not a progression. It's repentance. There is no becoming God. We are to imitate him. We are to imitate Christ. We are to strive to become more and more like him each and every day. But as humans, human beings, we can never become uh, him even as we become perfected in glory. We are the created, not the creator. And that is a core error that the Mormons make, is they think you can progress to become more God. Not like God, but more God. Um, They also believe in tritheism. We talked on this a lot last week with Jehovah's Witnesses. When you you deny the Trinity, well, first, when you you deny the inerrancy and authority of Scripture, then everything else just falls like a house of cards. The Jehovah's Witnesses had a lot of problems with the Trinity. The Mormons have a lot of problems with the Trinity. They don't believe, uh, as we do, is one distinct God, I'm sorry, one God distinct in three persons. They believe in three individually distinct gods. Now, I want to review a few texts very, very quickly uh, 
about that. John, David, John 1, 1 through 5. One, 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 one through five. Thank you. I have about 10 other scriptures. Um, I know that you trust the word. I'm a little bit behind time, but that word there, a great passage to begin to understand the Trinity. Not only does it teach us of the Trinity, but it talks about the eternal presence of the Trinity. Before there was anything, the word was God and with God. Jesus was there and everything was made by him and for him. And so these ideas that you can separate these biblical texts to twist and contort them, it may sound good, and it may sound fun, but in the end, it falls under what Scripture says because Scripture is explicitly clear on the Trinity. The last two things that I want to want to talk about real briefly are their understandings of salvation, and um, I may or may not get to touch on heaven due to time. But I'm going to give the youth an opportunity to impress you. And so each week, about six or seven months ago, we started asking questions about what is the gospel. And they would say, the Bible. I said, no, that's not the right answer. The gospel is in the Word of God. And so we have these four questions that we start off every week. And I'm going to let them answer them for you. So what does gospel mean? Good news. Good Good job. What is the good news? Jesus died for our sins. Why did Jesus die for your sins? So not only can we live here abundantly, but so that we might live with Him eternally in heaven. And then what is grace? God's undeserved love towards sinners. So aren't you proud of them? They deserve they deserve, they deserve love. I know that may seem simple, but you would be surprised how many children can't answer those four questions. How many adults? I mean, those, we would call those simple questions. But those are absolutely the cornerstones to our faith as biblical Christians. We believe we are saved by grace through faith, grace alone through faith alone, by Christ alone. What He accomplished on the cross—that's what Scripture teaches. Now, if you have any questions about the gospel whatsoever, I am always here, as there are many other people in this church that would love to talk to you about that. But sadly, salvation, according to the Mormons, comes in two parts, and this will probably be the last thing that we discuss. It comes in two parts, general salvation and individual salvation. Now, general salvation means that when, I just realized I didn't change this filler text from random Latin words to, to well, it means nothing. (laughs) It did to me either. (laughs) I just realized. You didn't have your hat over your head. <laughs> Good one. So general salvation is what Mormons come to believe, uh, and they say things that pass a smell test. General salvation to them is that they, they believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. Seems kind of good. Well, they believe that all mankind will be saved in a general uh, sense when they are resurrected from the dead, and later they will be judged according to their works. Okay, so you get a statement that passes the smell test, and then you get one that's very foul. 
And that's their understanding of general salvation. It's given to people regardless uh, of their actions and their beliefs, except for a small group of people called the sons of perdition who are going to hell no matter what they do. But every, pretty much everyone else, about 98% of the other population of the earth, they're going to be fine. They'll get general salvation, um, which is blatantly untrue. And so, but because of their belief, the Christ atonement paid for Adam's sin only. Individual salvation means that people are still responsible for their personal sins. Again, wow, that sounds kind of right. I'm responsible for my own sins. Yes, but what they mean is that Christ's atonement provides you with the opportunity to earn salvation by obeying laws and the ordinance of the four standards of the, the Latter-day Saint Church. And so again, way off topic. Again, they give you these two statements that on paper like, hey man, that looks kind of good. That's what they teach at my Southern Baptist Church. You dig just under the surface and you find out that, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe. You'll go to heaven when you die. And, and if you want to be sure, then you've got to earn it. You've got to work hard and you've got to obey and you've got to earn it. And so Mormons list eight requirements that if you want to merit, keyword, you want to merit forgiveness, here's what you've got to do. You've got to be baptized you got to become a member of the LDS church. you got to keep the commandments. you got to do temple work. And you have to accept Joseph Smith as the mouthpiece of God's revelation to mankind. Now, here's the great thing about being a biblical Christian. You don't have to... I, I, I don't know the church role right before me, but most of you are church members here, and I love what you do and you serve and you make my job. The best job in the world. But to be saved, you don't have to join this church. To be saved, you don't have to volunteer in this church. While I think obedience uh, to Christ comes once you're saved, the first act is baptism, Christ says you don't have to be... Being baptized is not what saves you. It's an act of obedience. Um, you, and you don't have to accept that any man other than Christ is the mouthpiece of God's revelation. Now, we... I want to back up. That's a little wordy. We do take that God inspired uh, the authors of Scripture, um, and those were, those were men, so I don't want to be confusing there. But there are beautiful texts throughout the Bible that teach the biblical doctrine of salvation from Christ by grace alone through faith alone. And so what a relief. And you might be thinking, well, goodness, great. I don't have to work for it. I can just do whatever I want. False. Romans deals with that. And I wish I hadn't talked so much in so long. I thought I could do this quicker. But the book of Romans has to be the greatest nail in the coffin to the Mormon faith as I was studying earlier today. Do we go on sinning? Absolutely not. In fact, all of you are sinners and you fall just woefully short of the grace of God. And oh look, you can't earn it. Well then I'm doomed. No, false. Christ died for you while you were still a sinner. And so these, there's this wonderful biblical doctrine of who Jesus is and what grace is. It overcomes the fallacy that is the LDS church. Um, I'm running out of time because I want to do something else real quick. But I want to teach you how to respond, especially the kids. How do we respond to Mormons? Okay, first and foremost, you've got to know the Word of God. As we talked about last week, between Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, a lot of the converts come from our churches because it looks like us, tastes like us, acts like us on the most part. 
and it's it, 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 but it's a deception. It's a false god. It's the devil. And so you're thinking, well, that's my friends. Absolutely. And so we need to know what the Word of God says so that we don't fall captive to these traps. And again, like I said in the beginning, we're on, we're on who's your mission. And so if we have Mormon friends, we're not coming in and, and beating them on the head, but we are pursuing them with urgency, as we do with all people. But them especially, because they are wrapped up in something that looks like the Bible, but is just a bad image. It's a facade. It's, it's, it's a fake um, it, it does not match what Scripture really teaches. And so we have to know what the Bible says because any people that may be visiting us, that may be fringe churchgoers, I don't use the word Christian, but fringe churchgoers, people that know a little bit about church, they stand at risk to these cult practices because they seem like what we do. And like I said at the beginning, research puts us in the same group, says we're all Christians. We're not. Um, the Bible discusses at length what is and what is not a Christian. And so I appreciate you listening to me. And as I said at the, at the beginning, Mormonism says, as God is, man can become. Biblical Christianity says God is God alone. There is none like him. Uh, and he is loving and gracious. But he will not be mocked. He will not be um, mocked. And, and there will come a day, as we know, we're all... Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And that includes Mormons who think they've repented. And so I encourage you, especially the youth, if you have Mormon friends, to begin having delicate conversations with them. And I'll be here to help you about what it means to really believe in God and who Jesus really is and what salvation really means. And you're probably saying, well, I can't do that. Don't worry. It's already been said for you. You just have to tell someone about it.